0: specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com.
1: This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.
2: Are you concerned about college and career planning for your children? Did you know that there are likely resources within your school district that could help plan for your kids' future? This week, I speak with Noelle Essig, College and Career Counselor in the West Bloomfield School District, located in Metro Detroit. Noelle brings decades of experience working with students and families to help them navigate through the career and college planning processes. Noelle walks us through the process she uses to help guide students through the overwhelming process of career and college options. A process that involves assisting students in realizing what they do not want as a career that can have a far more significant impact. We also focus on the pros and cons of students starting at a community college, which can often save students and families thousands of dollars, especially during the age of COVID where many schools have gone to remote learning. Noelle recommends utilizing the Michigan Transfer Agreement to help ensure credit transfers as you intend them. Noelle hits home on a critical point in college planning. Parents need to have an honest conversation with their kids about college affordability. There's nothing worse than having a child get into a school, only to find out there's no feasible way to pay for it. We owe it to our kids to have these conversations early, even before high school. Many families get caught up in the idea of sending their kids to their dream school. We discuss how dangerous this can be for both students and parents, which Noelle underscores with families about having a financially safe school, a school that both the students and parents can afford. Noelle is the proud mom of four boys, including a set of twins who are in high school seniors, ready to transition into college life next year. Noelle shares her experience as a mom going through the college planning process that she's helped so many families counsel with her own boys. Be sure to follow Noelle on Twitter for additional resources. Please enjoy my conversation with Noelle Essig. Today on the Emotional Balance Sheet podcast, I have Noelle Essig, who is with the West Bloomfield School District. And Noelle is the, I guess, what's your official title in the college district and there? College
1: and career counselor.
2: College and career counselor. So I'm really excited about Noelle having on the show today because career counseling, that getting ready for college is near and dear to a lot of the families that I work with and trying to figure out where the best place for them to go not only for their kids personally, but financially as well. So I'm sure we're going to touch on both of those aspects. And then I love the fact that we share many common bonds. One of them is we have four kids each.
1: That crazy girl.
2: <laughs> Yes. And you also have a set of twins versus my set of twins and triplet package, if you will. So I'm sure that we're going to talk a lot about family today as well. So thank you so much for being on the show and So, why don't you give our audience a little bit of background about how you ended up getting into career counseling, how you ended up in the West Bloomfield District, and a little bit of background about yourself.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Paul. So, my background has really always professionally been in higher education. I did my undergrad at Central Michigan University. I am a very loyal Chippewa. I love my experience there. Fire
2: up Chips? Is Um, that what they say?
1: (laughs) And... While I was a student there, I was very involved in tons of activities and really just loved everything about the whole higher education world. And I was an RA while I was there, which if you're thinking about ways to help finance your education, I received free room and board for doing that. So that just kind of helped navigate an interest in the higher ed world for me. Then from once I graduated, I thought, gosh, I want to stay in residence life. I really enjoyed it. So I worked at a small school in Missouri called Truman State University. I was a hall director and a Panhellenic advisor there and then decided that I really wanted to pursue my master's degree and had an opportunity at Bowling Green State University where I was a residence hall director there and got my master's degree in counseling. So another beautiful thing about being a full-time employee at a university is one of the perks is you get some free tuition. So what your topic is, is right up my alley because I'm constantly looking for ways that I can enhance my education, but also do it at an economical way as well. Once I graduated from my master's degree at Bowling Green, I had an opportunity to work as an assistant director of admissions back at CMU and worked there for about five years. In that position, I reviewed college applications, did presentations about the universities, traveled to every high school in the whole southwest part of the state from Grand Rapids all the way down to the Niles to Benton Harbor, that whole southwest part of the state, and coordinated their Centralis scholarship competition. So it was a wonderful experience. I loved that job immensely. But while I was there, I decided I have this master's degree in counseling. I loved my high school counselor and always had that desire to work in a high school setting as well. Didn't want to be traveling as much new. I'd met my fiance, my husband, and was looking for a way that I wouldn't have to travel so much, and so working as a school counselor was the perfect fit. And did that for about five years, and then started to have a family. And I took some time off to be at home with our four boys, having twins right away. And then within it's a journey, years, isn't
2: it? <laughs> <laughs> within
1: five years, we had four children, so it was crazy. But and now have been back working at West Bloomfield High School. This is starting, I think, my fifth year there and most recently in the last three years working specifically with college and career counseling. So I feel like I've gone full circle in many ways with my whole college piece. I just feel like I'm truly doing my dream job. I absolutely love going to work every day, working with students and sharing experiences and working with families as well. So I know that was a long explanation of kind of where I've been and what I'm doing now.
2: No, I think that's great because I think it gives people insights into all the different experiences that you've had and being on both sides of the table, if you will. So I think from my perspective, your experience, I would love to work with if I was in high school guidance counselor like you, because you've seen all the different angles of administration, the college process. So to me, that would be a great resource. So that would lead me into my first question is, do you feel like, or is it, Do kids have to have that desire to come knock on your door? Do they know the resource they have with you within the district? Because when I look at my high school, I grew up in rural Michigan. And believe it or not, K through 12 was in one building.
1: Oh, I believe it. I grew up in a small town as well. (laughs) Population of 3,000, yes.
2: So like career counseling wasn't really a thing back then. So I graduated in 94. Yeah, 94 from high school. So there's my age for you. I'm just curious, in growing up in a bigger city like Metro Detroit, do kids realize the resource that they have with you?
1: It's unique to have someone solely dedicated to my position in a high school. But I do think that high schools are seeing the need as more and more students are choosing to go off to college. And MCAN is an organization within the state of Michigan, where there's a real movement to help educate students on the need for continuing their education. And when we start to also, I guess I need to also share that I use the term college, but I make it real clear to our students that college is a very broad term. It doesn't necessarily mean that every student should be going off to obtain a four-year degree. When we look at the job market going on right now in the state of Michigan, there is a huge need for the skilled trades area. And let's face it, many of those areas, we look around in our community. I have friends and neighbors that have their own businesses in some of the trades and the amount of opportunity and money that they bring in is far exceeds what I have with a master's degree and two bachelor's degree.
2: You can make a lot of money being a plumber or electrician these yes, days. But
1: <laughs> when we talk about college, we're talking about this whole movement of finding a skill that you have that is employable as well. So just wanted to throw that out there.
2: That's a topic we're going to circle back to because I wanted to bring that up as well as when you see kids, do you get a feel for, should they be looking at college or should they be looking at some kind of like technical or trade avenue?
1: We bring up all of these opportunities with our students. And I certainly would never say, oh, you need to do this one or you need to do this one based on looking at GPAs because we know that how many people in our own age where we hear of someone who's highly successful, highly intelligent, but their grades in high school were awful. So with every student that walks through our door, I'm talking about everything is on the table, especially when students start to talk about how to pay for college. There's a real change in my discussion that I think from what it was five years ago or 10 years ago or however many years ago when I was in college, the cost of college has far exceeded what a student could earn in the summer doing summer jobs. It's just when I was going through school, I could work and work all summer long and I did and put a dent in my college tuition. Nowadays-
2: Those days are over.
1: (laughs) It's over. So what we're also talking with our students is, hey, let's be open-minded. And I really am seeing it this year a real openness to not necessarily worry about the name across the sweatshirt as far as where you're getting that degree from. I'm hearing students really being open to, hey, I wanna, I've got these really good grades. Where can I go that I can get the most scholarship money? And I feel like even three years ago, it was XYZ school at all costs. I don't care if I can't afford it. I'll take out every loan. And my parents have said they'll take out every loan to make it happen. And I feel like we've kind of, Maybe that's a benefit of the COVID thing where students are taking these classes in their bedroom, these college courses, they're paying all this tuition. And I think families are kind of going, ooh, let's rethink how we do this. Maybe let's be more open-minded to that community college, knock off a year of those basics with careful planning, that's the key, and then look at the four-year school. So I'm excited. It's been fun this year as students are really willing to take a look at all the options that are out there for their financial future as well. And that's one of the things that I really stress. I was a first-generation college student, first in my family to go away to school, and there was no slush fund that was set aside to help pay for my education. So I got real creative in how I could do that. And I think families are doing that now.
2: That is a fascinating point that you bring up about the letters across the sweatshirt, if you will, because I've been getting questions about that. I actually had a few cases where, A child ended up getting into university or college, and they weren't expected to. But because of COVID and the college numbers being down, they were able to get in, and the family was not prepared for this at all. And I tried my hardest to talk them like off, like, "Look, I don't think this is the right decision. It could really set not only you back from your wealth management plan, but also your child as well, because." they're going to have to take on a lot of debt. You're going to have to take on a lot of debt. And is it going to be worth it? And so I've wondered if that's the type of thing that you're seeing as well. And if that's really COVID driven.
1: I think COVID has definitely opened some eyes for families. How many kids in your neighborhood that are off in college right now, and they're sitting in their bedroom and they're taking psychology 101 and their tuition is X amount, and the neighbor is taking the same class, and they're just, it's just different experiences, but I will say it has to be careful planning. There are certain programs where you need to be at that four-year school right away. If it's a technical program, some of the engineering architecture where you have prerequisites that are only offered at that particular four-year university, but many of our community colleges have relationships with the four-year schools, and they've, plotted out these real specific plans of you can take this year or two years worth of classes and they transfer in their transfer agreements that they have.
2: Do those work with out-of-state colleges as well? So, for example, like if you have a kid going to like OCC and they want to go to Ohio State, does that work?
1: What I tell families, and this is again from being on the other side of it where I worked with transfer students, that were coming to CMU, you always want to start with where the goal is, of where you want to be, because they're the ones that are deciding how those credits transfer into their university. And you want to make sure that you're taking classes that actually fulfill graduation requirements. So many times as you transfer colleges, if you're not carefully planning and asking for them to audit the class and make sure that it transfers, those Classes could come in as psychology credit, but they're not coming in as psychology 101, which is maybe the class that you needed. So our community colleges have worked very hard with our 15 public universities in setting up true transfer agreements with the colleges. There's such a thing called the Michigan Transfer Agreement, where they guarantee how some of these gen ed classes will transfer in, but it has to be very careful planning. I wanna stress that. So if they were looking at something specific Out of state, I would just say, get a hold of a really good counselor at that school that would take the time to help you plan courses that would transfer to their university. Otherwise, it could set you back an additional year if you don't plan well.
2: So what happens if you're in a school district, say like going back to our days when we went to a rural school that doesn't really have a high-powered career counselor like you? What does a family or a student do in that situation?
1: The wonderful thing about no matter where you live right now, I don't know what the percentage is, but most of us have access to the internet in some way. And a lot of this information is out there. Students can follow, anybody can follow me on my Twitter feed. It's at WBHS Counseling. And I share a lot of information there. They can also check with each college and university to do virtual tours, find out information about scholarship competitions. There's some wonderful Facebook pages out there as well that have information on the whole college search process that families can join, students can join. My only caution, I belong to several of them, just because I like to stay up to date and I like to see what parents' questions are. Don't always believe everything that you see. One of the Facebook pages I belong to, I see Families will post a question and then everybody chimes in with their two cents. And there's a lot of times that students get frustrated with me because I say it depends. It depends. It varies because there's no uniformity to really anything that I say. If I can say one thing is just always check with the college or university for what their policies and what their procedures are, because it does vary from college to college, from state to state. And so there's really no definite answer to a lot of the things that we say. So always just check with the colleges that are highest on your list. But just keep an open mind. I love that you're talking with families about finances as well. Because when I talk with students about selecting their colleges, so many times we talk about, can I get in and my reach schools and my safety schools as far as admission? But I also talk to families and students, what's your financial safety school? And a lot of it, we don't know what the cost of attendance will be until they apply and they get admitted and then they fill up the FAFSA and then they get their financial aid report from each of the colleges. And then we can sit down and look and say, okay, if I go to this school, this is how much it will cost me. If I go to this school, this is how much it will cost. And it's kind of like purchasing a car. We don't all pay the same amount. And so you want to be really educated to make sure that you are in a financial safety situation with the college that you select as well.
2: Two points on that. One is when I hear parents or students bring up the term their dream school, that usually sends shivers down my spine because to get really attached to a school before you know what the cost is, or in my world, how I would put it, what the return on investment is, or ROI, is very scary and so a lot of times usually when people show up in my office and they bring up college planning that really focuses on saving and but towards their kids as sophomore freshman even freshman sophomore at least by junior year i'm pivoting to that to college planning not college saving and what that college planning is and my angle that I take is looking at that car analogy that, or car point that you just brought up. All colleges have MSRP. So that's their sticker price, but what's the net number that it costs to go to that school. And so that's after financial aid, it's after scholarship. So I actually utilize a software program where I'll line up like all the school's choices, if they will, and then we'll go like line by line and help them figure out, okay, this is how much this school is going to cost you. This is how much you should expect walking out in four years if in debt. If you graduate in four years, we're looking at what their four-year graduation rate is because if they have it really low and you have to go an extra fifth year, well, that's a whole nother year of cost. So it's a very rigorous process that I'm starting to take families through once their kids get into early ages of high school. So to circle back with question for you on that, Noelle is, are you bringing up the financial question to the parents? Cause that's a tricky line I think I would see you being and in, in bringing that up.
1: I work with students most directly, but many times parents will ask to join in. I bring up the finances probably in most, every conversation that I have with students, I'm not uncomfortable with it. I don't ask parents to share or students to share their financial circumstances with me. I just always ask them, have you run a net price calculator? Do you understand the cost of attending? Where do your statistics line up in terms of being able to get scholarship money? And does this fit your family's financial situation? Does this make sense? And if you have to take out loans, did you look at over the course of four years or five years? Or Many of our students would like to go off to medical school or law school. So factoring that in, are you in the financial situation that you can, number one, get the loans? Number two, what does that mean for your long-term future? I think one of the faults that me as a parent, so I have seniors that are going through this right now, so talk about the different walks that I've had. Now I'm walking it as You're a parent. walk the walk. It has been very humbling. I know all this information. And then- when you're going through it, it is very emotional and a lot of things go into it as well. But I think one thing mistake that we make as parents is we don't have these really honest conversations with our children about here's what it's gonna cost to attend this college versus this college and here's our financial situation, whether we've been able to save money for our kid or whether we haven't been able to save anything. And I think we really owe it to our children for sure by junior year to have an honest conversation about what you can afford to help support your children and what you're willing to sign off for on a loan because nothing breaks my heart. Here's what happens right now. Students are applying to all these colleges and universities. And when I ask that question about, is this a financial fit? Have you run the numbers? Does this make sense? And they kind of look at me like, oh, I don't know. And I'm like, have you had a conversation with your parents? Nope, not, we haven't. Dad doesn't want to talk to me about it. Then what happens is the students come back to me in March. Once they've received the financial aid packaging, they're ready to make a decision with a college or university. And then dad or mom says, we can't afford this school. We're not co-signing on these loans. And the kid is heartbroken.
2: A lot of tears in those situations. And I actually stress that a lot to families as well. And that's why depending on the family, like you just mentioned, like having those conversations at minimum or at the latest by the junior year, I'm having those conversations, like I said earlier, like freshman, sophomore year. And in some cases, I've had families, to give you a really great example, I use this case study all the time when I'm doing presentations out in the public scene, where single mom, two boys, sat them down in middle school and said, look, This is what I'm saving. I've been saving, I don't know, $100 a week since you guys were in kindergarten. And so this is how much we're going to have by the time you graduate from high school. Actually, they went to Wild Lake Central. And so it was basically enough to cover like their first two years. And then she's like, I'm done. This is all I'm going to do. So she had a son, extremely bright kid. Well, both of her sons were bright. Don't get me wrong. But really exceptional kid. Really driven. He ended up getting into MIT and then Eidenhoven University, which is over in the Netherlands, which is kind of like the MIT of Europe. But even given their financial situation, they didn't really get a lot in aid and he didn't get a lot in scholarships from MIT. But boy, oh boy, did Eidenhoven like pony up to get this kid overseas. So he ended up graduating. I think in three years because he had so many college credits that he transferred over. And then we'll get into that point probably because I want to bring that up as well. And so mom was able to hold her end of the bargain that two years, help pay for some room and board. All the rest of this tuition was covered with scholarships. He graduated with zero debt.
1: Oh, good for
2: him. Amazing. Like she utilized every aspect of the planning process. Like planning early, looking at what the return on investment is, looking at how much debt they would have to take on. And he looks around at a lot of his buddies that went to U of M, Michigan State, whatever, that have twenty, thirty thousand dollars 30000 in debt coming out of college. And he's going to be buying his first home at like, I don't know, 22, 23 years old. So to your point, I worry about people that don't work with somebody like me as an advisor or somebody like you as a career counselor to give them that sense of direction. And it's really about options. I mean, you want to have options on the table, but more importantly, you want options that work best for you.
1: I look back to when I was going through this being first generation the whole mindset was just go to college, get a degree, and it's going to pay off for you. The return on the investment will be there. And really it was. But now I think the cost of education is so high that we have to change that mindset, especially with families that don't know any different, that think, oh, if I can just go to college, I get that degree, all my problems will be solved. And in reality, we've just now strapped for a lifetime, a student, in a family because a student can't take out all this loan money in their own name they can only take fifty six hundred dollars their freshman year and sixty six hundred the next three years in their own name so all this huge amount of loan debt is at the expense of a parent, typically co-signing on this debt and i just think there's a real movement to rethink how we do things and i'm excited to be a part of it now again there's awesome schools But students need to look at okay, how can I get some merit money? Where could I go to take advantage of the merit money, which is not based on my family's income? And then, if I am low income, how can I take advantage of the FAFSA forms? And do I qualify for a Pell Grant? If I'm on free and reduced lunch, have I been in contact with my counselor to find out about fee waivers for tests, ACT and SAT, and for college applications? There are so many things that we can help our students with. But it's educating families too, to know, hey, if I'm on free and reduced lunch, I need to make sure that I ask about these things. I know in West Bloomfield, we as a counseling team, we tell these things to our students, but a lot of times they're not ready to hear it. So it goes over their head. And then afterward, they're like, oh, yeah, you did mention that. Yeah, I mentioned that about three times.
2: In here, let's talk."
1: <laughs> it's a process. It's very overwhelming. And I think the thing that we reiterate as a counseling department in our building is we're free. Come utilize us we reach out to our students. I have a whole Canvas page, which is how we're educating our students right now. Videos that I created on college and career advice. Our counseling team is always working with our students to help educate them. I put a newsletter together twice a month with all sorts of information. And anybody can see those if you go to our website, not the presentations, that's for our students. But our West Bloomfield Counseling Department there's a site there called the Counselor Connection you can see some of the information we're sharing with our families because it is very overwhelming and as you know Paul the emails you get from the school it's overwhelming it's overwhelming we're overwhelmed as parents so in our building what I'm trying to do is to by doing the newsletter at least putting all the information that I feel like families need to read in this one document that goes out twice a month that families can read and learn more so and that's not unique to West Bloomfield. I'm sure that other school districts are doing the same thing, and it's free information.
2: Well, do you ever get kids or parents interested in the work that you do that are outside of your school district? And if so, are they able to get that information?
1: Someday, when I don't have four young kids still in my house, I don't do that right now just because.
2: I think there's a business in the future for you, Noelle.
1: I know, there is a business there, but. I take great satisfaction right now in that I can work with my students and it's free information. I'm being paid by our school district to share this. Yes, there are consultants that are out there. I would just say be cautious before you write a huge check because a lot of this is free information. It's just knowing who to go to to get the information. I would say always start with your school counseling department first because they have relationships with the college reps as well. College reps that are coming into my building, I know every single one of them, or we're doing them virtually now, but we have relationships with them. So there are some wonderful independent educational consultants out there. I would just say to families, just like anything, there's scholarship search agencies out there that want you to write a big check to get a scholarship. And I would just argue, I don't think that's necessary.
2: And I would agree with you.
1: You're paying money to get a scholarship, something's not right.
2: I stress that to parents as well. I had. Sandy Hottie on episode three, I mean, she was a teacher in a local school district for over 22 years, taught honors, language arts, and social studies. And she did the same thing. She got to the point where it's like she wasn't able to do what she wanted to in the classroom anymore, given the sizes and the changes in curriculum and things like that. So, she ended up retiring, started her own business, and started helping kids with how to write that grammar things that we talked about before we hit the record button with our kids and so she's done really well now she doesn't get into the trying to find scholarships or anything like that she's trying to work with your kids to prep them to be able to have a successful college life and be prepared and have good note taking skills how to study those types of things so that's i think a definitely a good resource for the audience to take a look at as well so I wanna shift back to one of the aspects of what you do that we haven't talked about is careers. Now, I had no idea what I was gonna do when I was 18. I changed, I think, majors four times during undergrad. I transferred twice between colleges. I don't think I was probably that different, but I was fortunate where the careers that I kept changing to or changing from, if you will, we're all somewhat similar. So I was still able to graduate in four years. But how do you work with students today on trying to figure out what they really like to do and what they may want to do in the future as a career?
1: So I really push families to talk with their kids early about careers. And it's funny how life is full circle. This whole like take your kid to work day. I was always like, oh, why is a kid missing a day to go to work with their parent? Blah, blah, blah. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. Just to see the world of work. It almost needs to be in those teenage years, but I think anything that we can do to expose our children to different opportunities of careers, have these conversations, taking full advantage of your high school curriculum. So in the high school that I work at, we're a pretty large high school. So we have amazing opportunities for our students in terms of We have this medical skills and innovation class where they explore medical careers from all sorts of educational levels of medical careers, not just becoming a physician. We have amazing architecture classes and engineering and internship opportunities. That's
2: amazing. I never knew any of that existed.
1: Oh, oh, we have these opportunities with our Oakland Technical Center. So there's amazing opportunities. With the way that education is set up now, there's also things with dual enrollment that students can learn more about different classes. I ask a point with our students as far as taking advantage of high school to try and figure it out. In Oakland County, our students all do a program called Zello, X-E-L-L-O. And it's a career exploration tool. It starts, I think, in middle school and the high school. And I know a lot of students rush through it because they just want to check it off the box. I did it. And they'll get results that are kind of the whole garbage in, garbage out. I just rush through this, my career interests, and all of a sudden I've got this list that's meaningless. And I tell students spend some time when you are in the right frame of mind answering these questions to get a list that's meaningful. If you're not in our district, you can also go out onto the internet and find ONET online or MyNextMove.org, and that's a free. By the Department of Labor, it's a free career interest website where you can, again, even as an adult, we could go in and answer these questions and it'll spit out some careers and it'll give you information about salary ranges, what the job forecasts are, what education level is needed. And I'll give myself as an example. It always came up. I would always get this kind of strange list. Counseling was always on there because I was through and through, I've always wanted to be a helper, making an impact. But I would also get a mortician or working in a funeral home. And I would always be like, wait, I would think that was ridiculous. And I almost would want to discredit the survey. But when you stop and think about what someone that works in a funeral home, they're helping, they're counseling, they're helping grieving people. So there's a theme that I can come to with that. So... I always tell students, give me that whole list. Let me see what it is. Because even if it's a ridiculous list in your mind, I bet there's themes that I can help you find among all of these jobs that popped open for you. And I think sometimes when we start with our children and we are asking them what they want to do, it's really overwhelming at 16, 17, 18 years old. I was like you, Paul. I struggled throughout those first two years of college to figure out what I wanted to do. Partly... I knew I wanted to work in education, but at that time, everyone said, don't go into teaching. There's no jobs. There's no jobs. There's no jobs. Well, what am I doing right now? I circled back and I love my career, but I was kind of in denial about what I should do. But I think that it's easier for me to say to a 16-year-old, okay, tell me what you know you don't want to do. And I can cross off probably 60, 70%, maybe 80% of the things on this whole list. I can cross these off. And now we can start to look at, okay, you know more than what you think you know. Let's look at what's left over. Let's look at some of these career pathways and we can start to hone in a little bit on not only are we looking at careers, but I want to talk with my students. What's the lifestyle that you want to have? I'm having that conversation with my sons right now. They love skiing and snowboarding. They love golfing. What are the things that you want your life to be like and can you afford those things? even in your own house with four. I mean, all four of my kids are a little bit different. I have another one that would be perfectly happy living a very low key life. And so what are the things that are important to you? You want to be able to support yourself, but there's different levels of what that looks like. You need the fancy house or are you pretty content with a house that gets the function done, but you want to be able to do these outside interests and have your career match the lifestyle that you want to live. So there's a lot that goes into that conversation. We know that as adults right now.
2: I was just going to say, I mean, you're like having a conversation that I do with a lot of families just when it comes to wealth planning. It's like I tell them, I probably tell my wife, Teresa, this more than anyone, but if you look at what you want to do in life, you can probably do most things, but what you can't do is everything. And I try to really hit that home and it usually resonates with most people, and it's a way to narrow down like what you want to focus on. And I love how you just touched on, especially with kids. Tell me what you don't want to do, because that process of elimination is very, very powerful, and you can quickly get to okay, what it is that you really want to focus on. And it helps, I think, take that overwhelmingness out of the equation, especially at a young age. So just so I've got this down right, Zello, Z e l l o. Is that? No,
1: X-E-L-L-O. And I'm not sure that it's something that's free for anyone to just log on and use.
2: I don't think it is because I actually have a client, a family over in the Rochester school district. And I was meeting with them one day and they actually have a set of twins as well that I think are sophomores this year, sophomore or junior. And I saw one was on that. I'm like, hey, what are you doing? So he started explaining it to me. So But the other one was mynextmove.org, you said? Yes,
1: and that one's free for anyone. It's by the U.S. Department of Labor, and it has some really great statistics on there too as far as job markets and salary ranges. It can be a little overwhelming, but I think the mynextmove.org, for most of your listeners, if they're not affiliated with a school that uses Zello, that's a great resource, and it's 100% free. One
2: of the... Topics we haven't talked about yet is we've kind of danced around it, but when it comes to college planning and the fact that everybody's, well, mainly colleges are virtual today, have parents talked about taking this gap year, not going to college this year because one, they want their kids to have that college experience, the kids want to have that college experience, and sitting at home at mom and dad's house doing Zoom or virtual learning just isn't necessarily for them. So what do they do? Because I've listened to some other podcasts. One person that's really big on this is Scott Galloway, who's a professor at NYU Stern. not sure if you know who he is, but he's really big on this. So is that topic coming up at all during conversations?
1: Here, just like you bringing it up, like, oh, this is the thing, but I'm not seeing it yet. We heard, oh, admissions is going to affect students for the class of 2021, because so many kids were going to be taking a gap year from last year's class. But I didn't see that it really panned out. Colleges are telling us that it's not really affecting their enrollment numbers for the class of 2021. So maybe to your point, maybe the class of 2021 will be the year that does more of a gap year. I'm not seeing that necessarily in a conversation a lot with our students. I think the important thing if a student decides to take a gap year would be, I would still recommend they apply to colleges now and then once they kind of have their focus on where they would like to go, reach out to the college and then say, "Hey, can I defer my admission for a year? I'd like to take a gap year. Many times they'll ask, "What are you going to do? Do you have something planned through a program or are you doing it because you think you want to just work for the year?" and then re-enter?" depending upon the school, Most are going to be pretty supportive of that. We're in an interesting time right now where the number of high school graduates is on the decline. So colleges are looking desperately for students to fill their seats.
2: Supply and demand is a really big issue right now with colleges.
1: Yes. So back in the late 80s when I was graduating, there were so many of us, colleges, They weren't as selective because there weren't as many kids going off to college, but it was just a different market. But now with the decline, starting kind of in these next last year and this year, it's a decline. So colleges are going to be more flexible with students and be forced to say, yeah, no problem, we'll still take you in a year. But again, there's those highly, highly selective tier colleges. And I guess what I'd like to stress with your viewers as well is, all those highly selective schools they're the ones that make the news and so i think families have this misconception like oh my gosh my kid could never get into a good college and again that term drives me batty because i have yet to find really a bad college and what is good for your son or daughter and what is good for my sons might be two different things and to say that that's a bad college hey i might get a full ride with an opportunity in my son's case to play baseball. And it has to be the perfect fit of what your child is looking for. So I just ask parents to watch the language as well of this whole, even the term dream school drives me crazy.
2: Like I told you earlier, that word scares me like no There's other. There's
1: many, many colleges that can get you to your end degree, the end result or the need that you have. And I think That whole return on investment is so important to talk about. And as we talk, as we know, as adults in the real world, maybe where you graduated could get you that first job, get you that opportunity. But once you get into the workforce, it's who are you? What have you done? And what do you know that's going to get you to that next level? And was that debt that you took on, is that worth it to you?
2: I think you hit the nail on the head again with that point is it's about fit. It's about fit for your kids and what they ultimately want to do. I mean, an Ivy League education, while nice, will bankrupt many, many families. And because I think with the research I've done on the Ivies, basically comes down to two situations. Either you don't make any money or your family is lower income, if you will, you get a full ride. Or you get in, you're paying the entire bill because They're not reducing the cost of their tuition, and they're just not the the level of scholarship opportunities that people think there are with Ivy's. Now, on the flip side, a lot of parents think, well, that means I'm going to have to send my kid to a state school. And this is go, I'm like, time out. This is where I go back to my college planning process that I walk families through, and we start laying out some names. And they're amazed, probably eight times out of 10, the fact that they could go to a private college or university for a lower cost and a public because those colleges, those privates are a lot more aggressive when it comes to that whole supply demand gap that we just talked about. They want your kids, especially if your kid can boost their numbers, whether it's GPA, SAT, ACT scores, in your case, athletes, and they'll find money to bridge gaps. And again, you go back to that point that we talked about earlier where you have the sticker price, and then you have the net price, it could be very, very different.
1: And I think one thing that's important when we start to talk about the scholarships and the affordability of the colleges is when you get that scholarship from a university, it's important to get it in writing that it's renewable for four years because you don't want a bait and switch where, okay, it's affordable in my son or daughter's first year, freshman year of college, and then, oh, by the way, that wasn't a renewable scholarship. And it's not guaranteed for all four years. So I would definitely encourage families to get that in writing that it's renewable, especially with some of these high sticker price colleges. And then what GPA is required in order to maintain that scholarship? Because our 4.0 students, many times, you know, they get off to these colleges and getting the 3.0 or the 3.5, that's fantastic. So you just need to pay attention to the fine details of. How do I get that scholarship renewed all four years? And is it based on my income? Because what happens if the parent's income goes up your junior, senior year, and now all of a sudden they don't get that scholarship. So just look at the fine details with any school that they're applying to or accepting to make sure that it's renewable.
2: Yeah, that's something I often talk about and I refer to it as a family's financial footprint. So decisions you start making when your kids are in senior year of high school, even junior to some point can start impacting the financial aid that you could potentially get. And I always encourage people or families to fill out that FAFSA every year, regardless, because things change. And like you, most people may not realize the more kids you have in college at the same time, the lower your EFC or expected family contribution is. And so with me, <laughs> I'm going to have three in at once for one year, then I'm going to have four n for two years, and then one in for just one. So I guess that's one benefit of having a bunch of kids <laughs> at once. I don't know.
1: Those crazy people with four kids.
2: So I know I don't have you for an infinite amount of time today. So I want to shift to a couple of closing questions. Let's talk about your personal experience with covid being in the school district, having four kids at home. How has it been for you in trying to juggle virtual learning and in-person learning for a couple of your kids that are back?
1: I'll look back to in March when all of us were home. My husband was home. It was chaos with six of us all trying to be on the internet. And the internet would go down. It was unreliable. And the struggle was real. Right now, my kids are face-to-face, so I'm grateful for that. For our family, personally, it was the right choice. Totally respect what families need to do for their own comfort and their own safety of the people in their household. But we add just a whole different element with the unknown of even what next year's going to look like for the college life. In colleges, some are in person, some are remote, some are hybrid, so it's just I think you used the word earlier that we use all the time, and it's pivot. Being able to be flexible, one day it's looking like we're going to do this, and then, oh, nope, let's change gears, let's rethink this, let's try this. And just that willingness to stay open-minded. And right now with our students, is that's what we're kind of talking about. Let's apply to a variety of different options right now where we don't know, and then once it gets closer to actual enrollment and making a decision, we we'll get to that May 1st decision day, which that's kind of changed through the years too. That's not as set in stone as it used to be with making a college decision. So again, just stay open-minded and breathe and know that there's really no bad choice. Everybody has to do what's best. And that's what we're doing in our household. We're just pivoting from one day to the next. And I'm sure you're doing the same.
2: I always get the question, like when I say the word triplets and people are like, Oh my gosh, how do you do that? And Teresa and I have been living with our motto one day at a time now for almost 10 years. And I remember somebody told me early on when the triplets were young that the days are long, but the years are short. And that's the truest truism I've ever heard when it comes to having a family or being a parent to multiple kids is that because there are days where it's like, oh my gosh, like how am I going to get through this? And then, because you think back to the early years when they were first born and the sleepless nights and all that, but now it's just, I tell people, I get the question, well, has it gotten easier as they've gotten older? And I'm like, every year it changes. There's some things that get easier and some things that get harder. So like on balance, it all stays the same. It's just different.
1: You just become a taxi service for, I don't know, like all four of our boys are huge into sports and baseball is a big part of our life and they all play travel sports. And it has been the biggest joy. It is so much fun but my husband and I, we are like two ships passing in the night sometimes because very rarely are we at baseball games together. We're just doing what we need to do. And now all of a sudden here I am, I've got my twins are seniors and it could make me cry just thinking about it, but I'm so excited. I think that's one thing that COVID has changed for our family is that appreciation for the opportunity to be able to go and do these things. I don't think I'm as heartbroken as I was maybe a year ago thinking about them going off to college. I'm just now so caught up in, please let COVID be contained enough that we can continue, so that they can go off to school because that's their dream and they want to be able to play on the baseball team and do all these things. So it definitely has changed our perspective.
2: That's awesome. And I think that leads into my closing question that I ask all my guests is, what is the best thing that you like, or love about being a parent?
1: I just love how things evolve. I think back, we had four kids within five years and you talk, I can't imagine, honestly, the early COVID years when the twins were in fifth grade, we had, our youngest was in kindergarten that year. And then we had a second grader. I think back to that moment. If I was in charge of their education, I was a stay-at-home mom at the time, but had I, been juggling a job, that would have been really chaotic because I needed them to go off to school. I needed to like to regroup a little bit, but so much fun in those little years too, like with all the milestones that they have. But now where I'm at, they're just fun human beings. I so appreciate just hanging out and COVID has forced us, not forced us, but because the sports life kind of stopped for a while. So we've had these movie nights and game nights in our house and doing goofy, crazy things. Like I just really enjoy who they are as human beings. And I want to like be friends. I'm their parent, no doubt. We set the rules. But I just love hanging out with them as human beings. Like they're funny and quirky. And so the parents that are in the thick of it, especially the multiples, I mean, honestly, those our twins were premature in those first few months, first year it's a blur. And then when our youngest came along, that was a blur because I was just so sleep deprived. And, but you get through and I agree one step at a time, but, oh, the reward is there. It is so much fun to see how they grow and develop and greatest joy of my life. Out of anything that I've ever done, that's the thing that has given me the most joy.
2: That is just an excellent way to, I think, put a bow on this awesome conversation, Noelle. I can't thank you enough for being on the Emotional Balance Sheet podcast. I think that it's going to be probably one of our most listened to shows thus far in our young career here at the podcast, but I can't thank you enough. And I'm sure that you and I will be talking in the near future about what happens next when on the college planning and career planning front.
1: I could go on for about three hours. There's, I, I have all these topics in my head like, oh, we should have talked about this, this, and this. We didn't even talk about standardized testing. So, so maybe we'll have another conversation and invite me back and we can go through the list of other things that I know we should have touched upon. So. Most
2: definitely. Most definitely. All right. Thanks, Noelle.
1: Got it. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the emotional balance sheet podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast.